Okay, we are, we're just going to finish up Genesis chapter 47, and then we're going to start in on Genesis chapter 48. And then in chapter 47, overlapping a bit where we did last week, reading from verse 29, and when the time for Israel to die drew near, he called his son Joseph and he said to him, please, if I have found favor in your sight, place now your hand under my thigh and deal with me in kindness and faithfulness. Please do not bury me in Egypt. But when I die, but when I lie down with my fathers, you shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And he said, I will do as you have said. And he said, swear to me. So he swore to him. Then Israel bowed in worship at the head of his bed. Some translations say that he, he, uh, uh, he leaned on the top of his staff when he was worshiping. You know, we, our Old Testament is, uh, is, is uh, uh, translated from the Mesoretic text, from particular text. The Septuagint, which was the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, had used some other documents. And this predates the, 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 the life on earth of Jesus. And the Septuagint says uh, staff. Uh, where he was leaning on the top of his staff. And then in Hebrews 11.21, it says the same thing, that Jacob was leaning on the top of his staff at this time uh, when he was worshiping. And, and uh, uh, so obviously the, the writer of the book of Hebrews was using the Septuagint or the same translations that the Septuagint had come from. But the key here for us is that all of this was about God. The whole thing was about God. In verse 31, it says, He bowed in worship at the head of His bed. Everything is about God. He bowed at the head of His bed. Now let's start reading in, in chapter 48. What I want you to see here is He's not dealing with, with um, details of, of legal documents and everything. It is all about God. This is the central point in our lives. You know, I... I'm deeply concerned about, about things happening in, in the United States, in the elections and things like that, but I don't let it overrun me. I mean, some people say, Darn, aren't you concerned? Sure, I'm concerned, but you know, I'm concerned about seeing people get saved. I'm concerned about things that to me are much more important, and that's the life of God. Sure, I have concerns about issues in life and political things, but... I don't let it overrun me. I'm just gonna, I just want to be focused in on the major things in life. And for me, that's bringing glory to my Lord Jesus. I'm one little man. I can't, I can't change all these, these things that are happening in Washington, D.C. and around the world and all of this. But I can be in prayer and I can, I can uh, be seeking my Lord. And you see that, that, that everything comes down to this. In, in, in Jacob's life. This is the, the culmination of it. Let's read in chapter 48, verse 1. Now it came about after these things that Joseph was told, Behold, your father is sick. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, with him. When it was told to Jacob, Behold, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel collected his strength and sat up in the bed. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz, in the land of Canaan, and blessed me. And he said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful, 
and numerous, and I will make you a company of peoples, and I will give you, I will give, I will give this land for your descendants after you, for an everlasting possession. So, in verse twenty-nine of chapter forty-seven, it says that that. Uh, um, Israel, or Jacob, knew that his time was approaching and he called Joseph to make sure he could take care of this detail that he wanted to be buried in a, in a particular place. Now, he's really becoming ill and word is given to Joseph saying, your father is ill. So these are two different occasions, not, 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 uh, not separated by a very long time, maybe a matter of weeks or months, but not by a very long time, maybe even days, we don't know. But it was a short amount of time. And word now is sent to Joseph saying, your father is sick. So this means the sickness unto death. This is the time that's approaching. And he took his two sons with him. Remember, he had two sons in the land that were born in the land of Egypt. Manasseh was the first and Ephraim the second. And he took them with him. And he takes them probably because he wants his, his father to pray for them as his father is going to do, but also for this connection, this connection to the people who go before you, this connection to people who have gone before you. And in my life, there are men who have discipled me, who went before me, and of, of the men who have really invested into my life, there was a man named Brother Bhak Singh of India, another man named T.E. Koshi, an Indian pastor, and... Uh, uh, there was a, a man named uh, Buck Hatch who was a professor at Columbia Bible College and Seminary. And there was another man named uh, Delmar Brosma who was a pastor of mine. Those four men invested heavily into my life. Three of them have gone on to be with the Lord. And uh, uh, Pastor Brosma is in his 80s right now. But this connection to the past, the connection to the people who have gone before us, to learn from them is so important to learn from them, how this is handed down, the, 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 the ways to seek the Lord. They're the ones who taught me how to, how to pray. They're the ones who taught me how to meditate on the Scriptures, to allow God to speak to my heart through the Scriptures. This is where I learned it, from these men. And then they would show me this pattern from the Scriptures. But we learn this from others. I have been really blessed in my life to learn from others through, through for example, I've learned so much from Charles Spurgeon, through his writings, learning about him, learning about his ways. To learn from men of God and women of God is a powerful thing. And in verse 2 it says, When it was told Jacob, Behold, your son has come to see you, Israel collected his strength and sat up. So now you even see the dual names being used, and you'll see this throughout the scriptures, that, that both Israel and Jacob, are the dual names are being used. And he collected his strength and he sat up in the bed. So he hears his son is here. And remember, his son is quite a distinguished man. And uh, he's still running Pharaoh's household. And he sits up in his bed. And then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And he is making reference back to Genesis chapter 28. So let's turn back to Genesis chapter 28. We've covered this already but so that we can remember it again. This was his first meeting with God. His first, the first time that he had this, this, uh, um, this experience with God, this first time God had met him when he was fleeing 
from, from his brother Esau. And he was sent away by his father. Uh, 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 Jacob is sent away by his father Isaac. And it says in verse 13 of chapter 28 of Genesis, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your descendants. So he says, I am the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. You see the connection that he makes. He makes this connection. God himself is the one who makes the connection. He says, I'm the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. And he says, this land on which you lie, I am going to give to you and to your descendants. So he says two things. He says, I'm going to give it to you and to your descendants. You might remember back when we were learning about Abraham. First, the land was promised to Abraham's descendants. And then a a later promise promised it to Abraham as well as his descendants. He says to, to Jacob right up front early on, I'm going to give this land to you and to your descendants. You see the promise there. When God has made a promise, I am telling you, heaven and earth cannot stop that from happening. Heaven and earth will split asunder, tear apart to make that happen. It has to happen. If if God has made a promise, it cannot stop from happening. God is going to follow through. Some people think that the promises that were made to Israel have now ceased because of Israel's disobedience. No, you will see that God will bring every promise about. God is greater than us. If our own failures stopped God's promises from occurring, I'll tell you, we wouldn't get anything in our lives. God is the one who sees it through. He is the one who makes that happen. I'm telling you, everything on heaven and on earth, throughout all of the universe, throughout everywhere, It's all controlled by God. And when He has made a promise, it has to happen. It can't stop from happening. It must follow through. He says, this land, I'm going to give it to you and to your descendants. It says in verse 14 of chapter 28, your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth and you will be spread out and and you will be spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. This word until, this is used a lot in the Bible. In the Bible. And, and uh, uh, so it doesn't mean that, that, uh, um, uh, that, It's going to stop at that time. It means it's just going to follow right on through. And uh, uh, the blessing, the blessing is going to be there right on through. And, and so, so you see this word right on it, even into the New Testament. And Mary remained a virgin until the birth of the Lord. You know, this, this, it's just, just, but it carries on through. You see this carrying on through. The same word is used again and again. Carries on through. And he says, I will not leave you. I'm not going to leave you. Behold, I am with you. I will keep you wherever you go. This man, I'm telling you, 
uh, uh, Jacob remembers this. He remembers this meeting with the Lord. This is what he's referring to, because if you look in verse 19, he says, he called the name of that place Bethel. However, previously, the name of the city was called Luz. So why in chapter 48 does he say God spoke to me in Luz? Why doesn't he say God spoke to me in Bethel? He named it that. Well, because when God spoke to him, it was named Luz. That's why. God spoke to him in Luz. And then the next day, he goes ahead and he he names it Bethel. But God spoke to him while it was called Luz. And he says, God spoke to me in Luz. This is what he's referring back to. But what he says here is, I'm going to give the land to you in verse in verse uh, 13. I'm going to give it to you and to your descendants. Well, if you come to, to uh, chapter 48, you, say, you see in verse 3, it says, Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me in Luz, in the land of Canaan, and blessed me. He says, God blessed me. On that day, God blessed me. And he said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and numerous, and you will be a company of peoples, and will give you and will give this land to your descendants after you for an everlasting possession. He doesn't say, he doesn't say, God said he would give me and my descendants this land. He just says, God will give, God said he would give my descendants that land. He leaves himself out of it. Because at this point, At this point, he is referring to what's going to come first. It's first going to be given to his descendants, and then it will be given to him. Because he is going to die before the promise was fulfilled. He is going to die before the promise was fulfilled. Same with Abraham and same with Isaac. They died before they received the land. Remember, all Abraham owned of that land was a little burial site and the field that went along with it. Remember, he had to get the field because if they didn't sell him the field as well, then the person who sold him the field, the person who sold him the burial site would have had to pay duty and taxes on that field. So he sold the burial site plus the field that was with it. And then there was another plot of land that Jacob had bought just outside Shechem. And that was the only two areas that they bought his family now owned Shechem by right of conquer. And so that's why you'll see when, when, uh, um, when eventually uh, uh, Joshua comes into the land, he never had to fight for the, the city of Shechem. The people just fled from it because they knew it was already Israel's by the right of conquer from back when, when Simeon and Levi had, had taken that city. But you see here, he says he's making reference to the land is going to be for my descendants. And he says that that I'm going to make you fruitful and numerous. He knew it was not time for his family to leave Egypt. How did he know that? Because if you turn back to chapter 46 of Genesis, remember this was in chapter 46 was the sixth appearance of God to Jacob in his life. The sixth appearance, it had been like 25 years since the fifth appearance. In the sixth appearance, he he reassured him. He says in, in, in verse 2 of chapter 46 of Genesis, God spoke to Israel in a vision of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. And he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. And I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will surely bring you up again. And Joseph will close your eyes. So God made him this promise in verse 3. I will make you a great nation there. He knew 
the promise. He was to be built up into a great nation in Egypt. They had been in Egypt 17 years. It wasn't long enough to be built up into a great nation. He came in, remember there were 75 people referenced in the genealogy coming back into the land. There were 75 people referenced, or 70, 70 or 75, depending on how you numbered. It's numbered both ways, as we had seen. And, and, uh, but this didn't include the women. This didn't include many of the, the other, the, the women's husbands that, that, that were there. So it may have been double that, may have been triple that, it may have been 300 people. But it certainly was not a nation. He knew in Egypt they were going to be built up into a nation because that's what God told them in chapter 46. You see how literally these people took the word of God? They took it absolutely literally. When God spoke a promise, it was sure. Now, that doesn't mean we take every word in the Bible literally in the sense that Jesus even reproved his disciples at times for taking him literally. He said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And they all started arguing, who didn't bring the bread? And he says, this, this, look guys, I'm not talking about bread. And he was talking about the sin of the Pharisees. Uh, they took him literally when he said leaven. So it's not that we take every word literally, but we take the context. But when there's a promise given by God, this we take literally. In the sense that he says here that I'm going to give it to you and to your descendants. He knew it wasn't the time for him. There are some promises that are received afterward. Some promises that are received afterward. This is what the scriptures bear witness to us all the time. All the time. And this comes by faith. This comes by faith. Let me give you a couple examples of this. So in, in, in John chapter, John chapter 14. John chapter 14. If you look in John chapter 14, verse 1 through 3. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So what he does is he gives us a promise. He says, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to come back again and I will be there for you. And I'm going to take you. This is what happens after we die physically. Jesus comes and he takes us to be with him. This is a promise that we get by faith. This is a promise that we get by faith. There was another one in John chapter 14, verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will come to you. Jesus makes promises. There are promises that we get, that we get like this. I want you to turn to the book of Romans. Turn to the book of Romans. We're going to start, we're going to read in Romans chapter, chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. And it says in, in verse 3, Romans chapter 3, verse 3. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He believed God, it was credited to him as righteousness. In verse 13 of, of Romans chapter 3, for the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteous, righteousness of faith. It came 
through faith. There is righteousness. The righteousness is proclaimed through, through faith, never through a work, not through the Old Testament. The Old Testament law did not bring righteousness. It would, came about by faith. And, and we were justified by faith. Always the justification was by faith. The, the focus of the faith varies depending on what dispensation we're in. For Abraham, he had to have faith. That's what brought righteousness to him. For us, the, the faith that, that we, the, the focus of our faith is different than the focus of Abraham's faith. Verse 16 of, of uh, Romans chapter, chapter 3. I'm sorry, I'm reading in Romans chapter 4. That was my mistake. I've been reading in Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, verse 16. For this reason, it is by faith, in order that it may be in accordance with grace, so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Abraham is the father of us all, whether we are Jew or Gentile. If we walk in faith, he is the father of us all. This idea that the Jews, that Abraham is their father, look, he is the father of everyone if we walk according to the same type of faith that he had. That's what brings about righteousness. And he says in verse 17, As it is written, A father of many nations I have made you. Whatever it speaks of nations to Abraham, it was speaking of the entire world. In the presence of him him who he believed, even God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which is does not exist. Look at this. God gives life to the dead and he calls into being that which does not exist. He gives life to the dead and he calls into being that which does not exist. This is exactly what Jacob knew. Jacob knew this. Abraham knew it. Isaac knew it. That if they were going to die and not possess that land, that God was going to resurrect them on some day and give that land to them. He's given it to their descendants and one day he will give it to them because his promise cannot stop from happening. Do you see how the resurrection has to take place now? He has to give them that land because he promised it. It's going to happen. He's going to resurrect them and he's going to give that land to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and present it to them. He's presented it to their descendants. He will present it to them as well. He will resurrect them. That's how they knew. Because the promise had been given. That's how I know I'm going to be with Jesus. Because he said it. Because he said it. And God, it says in verse 17, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. He gives life to the dead and he calls into being that which does not exist. He takes something that does not exist and he calls it into being. I mean, scientists are just coming around to this in the Big Bang, that from nothing all of this happened. Well, duh, it says it right here. He calls into being that which does not exist. God is able to do this. He's able to do this. He calls into being that which does not exist. And you talk to to some astrophysicists and they'll say, yes, the universe came from nothing. Well, this sounds like that to me right here. He calls into being that which does not exist. God is able to do that. In verse 18, in hope against hope, he believed. It's speaking of Abraham. 
that he might be a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken. So shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet, with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able to also to perform. Therefore, it was credited to him as righteousness. It is credited to us as righteousness, as we have faith, as we believe and trust the words of the scriptures, as we believe and trust the words of Jesus. It is credited to us as righteousness. Our works are as filthy rags. He is calling us to righteousness through faith. And then when we do these works through faith, it is totally different, totally different. Abraham was justified by his faith. Abraham was the father of many nations. He had several offspring by other women. But God then told him, it's going to come through Sarah. It's going to come through Sarah. He is the father of several nations, Abraham is. And you see, the, it talks about the princes that came from Abraham. So he had his wife Keturah after, after Sarah had died. Uh, he had Hagar. And so there was another nation that, that came through that. Um, so so um, uh, through, through, through Ishmael. And so you see that other nation. But there was a promise that it was going to come through Sarah. Now in verse 23 of Romans chapter 4, this is where he brings it right back to us. Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also, to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he who was delivered over because of our transgression and was raised because of our justification. You see, he calls the whole thing back. Abraham is not just the father of the Jewish people. He is the father for all those that walk in the faith of Abraham. And here he says, this is now the focus of Abraham's faith, is that he was going to give him a son. He was going to give him a son. There was a covenant through that. He gave him the covenant of circumcision. He gave him the covenant that he said, I'm going, to, I'm going to give to you a son. He gave him that promise. He gave him the promise of the land. For us, our focus is different. Our focus is not in the land. Our focus is different. The focus of our faith is right here. You want to know where our faith zeroes in? It's right here. Different dispensations, the focus of the faith is different. But it's all justified by faith. It says in verse 20, 23, Now not for his sake only was it written, but it, that it was credited for him, but for our sake also, to whom it will be credited, as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Our faith is based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus has most assuredly raised from the dead. There is more eyewitness historical accounts of the resurrection than any other event of that era. There were 500 people at one time that saw Jesus risen from the dead. There was a man that stuck his hand into the holes in his fingers and his hand into the hole in his side. It could not have been an imposter 
People don't walk around with big gaping holes in their side. Jesus was risen from the dead. It is on this that our faith must rest. This is why every time I share the word of God, I bring them right back to Romans chapter 10, verse 9. To the confession that Jesus is Lord. To the belief in the heart that He's risen from the dead. That is where it it reaches for us. That is where our faith is based. This is something that has happened, an event that has occurred, and the focus of our faith is on Jesus Christ and His resurrection. Glory be to God. Jesus' resurrection. We are to believe in Him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. We don't just believe in God. We are to believe in God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That's the God that we believe in. The God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Who, he who was delivered over because of our transgressions. Transgressions is, is different than sin. Transgressions is because of an act of the will against something that has been de- decreed. Because of our transgressions. And raised because of our justification. We may not feel you, you, you know, like, like, like uh, we're righteous, righteous. God has proclaimed righteousness on us. It is not that we feel it. It is not that we exercise it all the time. It is a legal thing that has been proclaimed upon us. If, if I commit a crime, and now if the president were to pardon me, I am legally pardoned. I am done with that forever. It is something legally that has come upon me. I still may feel guilt, for, for, for the things that I had done. But as far as in a legal sense, I am justified because of God. It is a legal thing that has come upon me. And that's why even though God has proclaimed us as righteous, sometimes we find ourselves not doing very righteous things. But He has already proclaimed it. He's already given the pardon. Because it's all embedded in Jesus Christ. It's all there. We believe in Him who has raised Jesus Christ from the dead. This is better. Oh, this is so much better than a plot of land. This is so much better. We believe in Him who has raised Jesus Christ from the dead. I'm telling you, this is the power of our faith. It's all based in the resurrection. It's all based in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This power which comes through Jesus Christ in His resurrection. That's why Paul said, I don't want to know anything among you. You can tell me anything. You can tell me about all the PhDs that you have, all the degrees you have, all the learning you have from all your religious schools. It means nothing to me. I want to preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I want to preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul said, I declare to you of first importance what I also received. When he says first importance, the most important thing. This is the most important thing, Paul said. You want to know anything else? The most important thing is this. This is what I declare to you. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That He was buried and that He was raised from the dead according to the Scriptures. That is the most important thing in our faith in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The most important thing is that He died for our sins, that He was buried and He rose from the dead. That's what I want to preach. That's where I want to bring people to. I don't answer all their questions and all the other things. People come to me with all sorts of questions. And I say, I want to tell you about how Jesus came into my life. I get done sharing the gospel with them and sharing about the resurrection. And they receive this. Amazingly, they receive this. Because it's the truth of God which has already been written on their hearts. So I'm only calling them to confess to what's already there. 
And then the questions go away. I say, you have any questions? No, no, I'm good. The questions go away. When you have Jesus Christ, it's not that all the questions are answered. It's that the, the, the importance of these questions just diminishes. It just diminishes. I mean, we all have questions. The Bible doesn't say, blessed is the man who has all his questions answered. <clears throat> it doesn't say that. I mean, we have lots of questions. <clears throat> but they all diminish when you have the resurrection. When you have the resurrection, that is better than anything else. That is better than having a son. That is better than having a descendant. That is better than the land. When you have the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that is the very best. And it is on that that our faith is based. It is on that that our hope is based. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus rose from the dead and he says, I'm coming back to get you. It's got to happen. It's just got to happen. There's nothing that can stop this. Any government, any politician, any demon can try to stop this. It's it's just not going to happen. Jesus is going to come and take you and receive you to himself. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you, Lord, how these men of old believed absolutely implicitly in your word in the proclamations of your promise. And even when they didn't get it in this life, they knew that the promise would be fulfilled in the next. Lord, I thank you because there is not a promise of yours that will ever drop to the ground. There is not a promise of yours that will ever go unfulfilled. Thank you, Lord, for the promise and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for the demonstration of the resurrection, for the power of the resurrection. Lord, I want to know, want to preach nothing else but his resurrection, Jesus Christ and him, him crucified, and the power of his resurrection. Lord, thank you so much for the resurrection power. What a glorious hope we have. Lord, I pray for these young people that you grant them faith that they would walk in the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that they would walk in the power of the resurrection. Lord, cause them to take hold of this, not to waver in their faith, but to pick up the faith of Abraham so that they would be able to call him their father in the faith, that they would have that kind of faith, absolutely unwavering, even though the things of the world would say it can't happen, but they would hold on to the hope of every promise that has been given in the Word of God, every promise concerning them given in the Word of God. Lord, I pray that through this time their faith would be built up and that they would be stronger in Jesus, stronger in You. Lord, I pray that this time would not be a waste, but that Jesus would work all the more in their lives as a result of this to draw them into a deeper relationship with God a deeper faith, a deeper faith in Jesus and in His resurrection. Amen.